Okay. Thank you. Uh, so we are running a bit behind the schedule, but I uh, try to do my presentation as swiftly as possible uh, within whatever time limit I have. Uh, I'm going to talk about the offshore markets. Uh, I'm Tyrus Olsen, head of securities at uh, Fernie, head of research at Fernie Securities. Um, I'm covering the offshore side of things. Fernie Securities, we are a niche house specializing on, on the shipping in the offshore industries on the global basis, part of the Astrid Furniture Group. Uh, I cover offshore and more specifically the drillers on that basis. I'm going to cover um, the whole offshore market, but I'm going to drill a bit deeper into the offshore drilling uh, segment of things, uh, pun intended. So, on the general overview, and I thought I'd start with this picture. This shows uh, part of PGS, which is the biggest uh, vessel owner on the seismic sites. Uh, part of their fleet laying idle uh, in the coast of Norway. And they've been, I could show this picture one year ago, two years ago. So they've been lay, laying idle for, for a lengthy period of time, not coming back. Having said that, the market as we see it on the offshore drilling uh, offshore side is in the very, very early innings of a recovery. So we've seen activity ramping up and it's take the form that it normally takes in terms of shape. It's starting with the mature basins. You see the brownfield developments happening, particularly the North Sea. Then we see some FRDs related to greenfield projects. Now, in this time around, there's been particularly the recycled projects, the project we saw back in 2013-2014, where they pulled the plug, they're now coming back out again, and there's some new uh, developments coming out as well, Lysa or Vexon being uh, probably the biggest one that we see. However, we are getting into the positive side of things, and everything starts and stops with the oil companies. So the oil companies are spending again. Now they've always been spending, obviously, but we see the delta is going positive. We had 10 years, essentially from 2003 to 2013, with double digit spending growth, with the exceptions of the financial crisis in 2009, the aftermath of that one. So we saw a turn in spending in 2017, where we saw a slight increase led by the US onshore guys. Offshore still had a negative uh, uh, spending um, pattern. For 2018, we see an overall spending growth, both for offshore and for onshore. Obviously, onshore is still led by US, or US guys, is still taking the majority of the growth, but it's coming on the offshore side as well. And if you note, back in 2013-14, the oil companies on the offshore side went into a lot of long, longer term, big spending programs, bigger developments, long term drilling contracts. They are now coming to, a, to an end. They were ending in 17 and 18. Some of them stretched into 19. But also the high margins, high day rate contracts that the oil companies went into, they are now coming to an end, which supports higher flexibility for the oil companies, which again supports higher activity on the lower cost base. The recovery is a bit uneven reflected in the shares. And I'm going to draw a map 
from the market over to the shares. But I thought I'd start with the shares. And I show you three segments on the offshore side, which is field development, subsea engineering, and related to that part of things, seismic, and the offshore drilling. And I coupled in the oil price and the OSX. And as you can see, as a simplistic picture, 2013 pre-cycle stock prices, trough stock prices, and where we are today. And as you can see here, I'll use this. Uh, Essentially, the subsea and the seismic names are very close to pre-down cycle prices where the drilling names are still sitting at the trough or extremely close to the trough. So there is no recovery coming on the drilling side yet. But if you look at the market development and how this looks, and we're starting off with field development and using subsea trees to depict the picture, uh, obviously most, or a lot of the field developments do have subsidiaries attached. Back in 2014, 15, 16, when the cycle upcycle ended, new awards came to an abrupt halt. This is going to lead to a lag effect in terms of activity from, for the subsidy guys. Because the backlog that the last lack of awards means is that there's going to be lower activity, lower revenues, and negative impact on margins in 18, 19, and 20 for the subsidy guys. At the same time, these shares uh, are already close to pre-down cycle prices. If you look at the si seismic, now the history tells you that normally seismic leads into the recovery. Not so this time around. If you see what the oil company companies have been doing in terms of buying seismic, they've been buying a lot. Blue color is a contract seismic, gray color is multi-client, and acknowledging that a lot of the multi-client seismic is being bought by more than one oil company, we show a total volume of seismic being acquired by oil companies, and it's been holding at extremely high levels. At the same time, the vessel owners are debt burdened. TDS is the one company standing out on the positive side from on the seismic uh, part of the world. And finally, before we go into the drillers, the OSV, the supply names. That story is twofolded. You have the restructured universe in the US, the tidewater, the Gulf mark, which is coming through chapter 11 with essentially debt clean balance sheets. And then you have the Norwegian vessel owners. These guys, they've actually gone through a restructuring once already. But you can't see it. Market cap and debt. They still have the same debt post restructuring 1-0. It's going to be a pre-restructuring pre 2-0 coming for the vessel owners. We are, however, positive on the market fundamentals. But on the OSV side, we do prefer steel to paper, given the challenge on the balance sheet side, particularly in Norway. So what about offshore drilling? Think about the offshore drilling space, and I'm starting with floaters. And I, when I talk about floaters, I talk about size semis and drill ships. People tend to switch this back and forth, but it's in benign waters, essentially the same thing. There's a difference in harsh environment, which is semi-territory. However, we do have probably seen this some, some of kind of charts like this before. Blue colors 
That's your demand side, contracted rigs in gray colors. That's the idle capacity. Now there's a lot of idle capacity around. However, we are sitting very close to the trough from a demand perspective. I believe that trough is going to be around about 115 rigs. We are today at 119, so we are essentially at trough levels. And then activity, based on what we're seeing now coming out of the oil companies, is going to increase in the second half of 18 and into 1920. And I believe that demand is going to recover towards 150 to 170 rigs in 2020, which is significantly down from pre-down cycle levels of, uh, point of, thank you, uh, of uh, 265. Similar picture on the Jacob side. The market actually troughed late 2016 and been holding horizontal ever since. And we do see a lot of demand coming from the oil companies, second half 18 and into 19, which is going to drag demand back up towards 350 to 375 jackups on contract in 2020, as we see it. However, you do see a lot of idle capacity. And that's the challenge. It is. However, there's a couple of things going on in the market right now. One, oil companies do favor modern rigs. Several reasons for this. One is the efficiency elements, which comes into play, particularly on the ultra deporter side and some niche markets uh, around the world, but also sort of general benign uh, jackup uh, market do feel the benefit of the modern rig. But you can see 60% of all contracts done over the last few years are done against a modern rig. At the same time, if you're looking at this, this is the idle capacity. There is one word that a drilling contractor doesn't like to use anymore, and that's cold, as in cold stacked. So instead of using a cold stacked as a label, they've invented these funny words like smart stack, preservation stack, cluster stack, call it what you like stack. Because they don't like to tell you that the rig is cold, because that means that it's out of the market. What's more important, I think, is how long has the rig been out? You can see here, orange colors, these are rigs which have been out of the market for more than two years already. That's 50% of the fleet sitting idle been out of the market for more than two years already. Extremely challenged to bring those rigs back into the market. Fast forward one year from now, and we're talking more than 50% of the fleet being out of the market for more than three years. Not coming back anytime soon. So quickly, how do I see this rebalancing? Floaters and jackups. We do have give or take 300, 290 rigs in the market, 250 active or delivered. Then there are shy of 40 rigs in yards. A lot of those new builds do have are ownerless, stranded assets, looking for someone to buy them, or in need of financing. And that means that they will not come out of that yard slot until there is a requirement for them to come out, i.e. there is day rates and contracts which um, uh, which gives them ability to finance taking a rig out of the yard, particularly for the floating side. Then we have some extremely multiple cold stack units, modern ones, 
They will not come out before day rates are significantly higher than current levels, because these will be extremely costly to bring out. Then we have what I label as scrapping candidates, which are older rigs due for an SPF, which is a mandatory special survey before they can come back into the market again. They will not come back anytime soon within my economic envelope. And on that basis, we reduce the fleet from close to 300 towards 190. And if you compare that to a demand side sitting at 170 to 150 to 170 rigs, as I believe it will be in 2019, 2020, we have something which starts to resemble a market balance. And the same element goes for the Jacob side. We're ending up with around about 400 rigs compared to 350, 375 demand side, starting to look healthy again. There's one element people talk about, and that's efficiency. Yes, a lot of efficiency improvements has been seen. However, if we look at since 2013, efficiency is up from, let's call it nine, eight, nine wells per rig towards 12, 13 wells per rig. This is how we're just the same as we saw in the previous down cycle. Where we are today is essentially where we were prior to the previous up cycle. So what happens? It's the better rigs, it's the better crews, it's the motivation, it's the lack of issues hampering your supply chain, etc., which has an impact. However, there are definitively some learning effects in here, some technology advances, etc., which is going to have an impact, which is going to lead to that efficiency curve, probably not losing to completely when activity starts moving again, but you will lose some. But there is one thing which is always in relentless growth, or should be in relentless growth within the offshore side, and that's drilling in, sorry, drilling intensity. And if you think about this, this is relatively self-explaining actually. This is the troll field, one oil gas field in Norway. Starts producing in 1996, it's still in production. Uh, plateau after a few years, and then slight decline in overall production. If you look at the number of wells they've been doing on that field to maintain that kind of production, it was relatively flat the first few years, but over the last five years, they have increased the number of wells by 75%, and production is only up by 10%. So that's a 75% increase to achieve a 10% growth in production. This is the fate of all offshore fields all onshore fields. All fields will have to use more wells as we come down the road. And if you then look at the overall market, this is four regions, North Sea, West Africa, uh, Southeast Asia, and, and, and uh, Australia. You can see the big swing factor in the market is exploration drilling. It's come off a cliff over the last few years. We are down to a quarter of what we saw historical levels. That needs to be recouped one way or the other, otherwise oil companies will start to suffer. On the other hand, development drilling is now back to the levels we've seen historically. That chart should show continuous growth. This gives me pretty good vibes for how the market is going to develop. And then a second element in terms of believing how a market is going to develop is the Norwegian floating market. Everybody's picked up, I think, that the harsh environment market in Norway is into recovery. Day rates is up towards $300,000 a day, 
compared to the trough of 150 in 2016. Great. High demand. That means utilization probably is at 75 to 80%, 90%. But day rates started to move when utilization was at 55%. 55%, not 87 or 92 or whatever number you're hearing out there. But it's the sentiment when oil companies start to increase their activity, start to ramp up things, that's when they really start to move. So I think a trend is coming, shift in the trend is coming, day rates is going to start moving second half of 2018 or first half of 2019, driven by activity increase, driving, driving demand for the better units. Secondly, as you start bringing more rigs into the market, there will be reacting costs. We see some speculative reactivations, but as these rigs start to cost more money, the rig companies will start to ask for at least part payment of those reactivation costs. Combined, those are going to drill the drive right there, it's higher. The earnings impact, however, is going to be delayed. Just to show you this, a sample of term contracts being awarded last year. That sample is going to lead to day rates impacting your balance sheet on a lag basis through 2020. So there's not going to be a full earning impact from this recovery before 2021. And that's the fate of the drillers. I.e., a play on the drillers today is not the play on earnings, it's a play on steel value. And if you play steel value, make sure you do have the liquidity to carry through. And if we then look at the liquidity of these companies, at year end 2020, assume no refinancing, then we can see that some of the big names, Rowan, Noble, Ensco, Ocean Rig, Diamond, are fine. They will survive the downturn. Transocean looks to be in a dire spot, but we identify close to $3 billion of uh, refinancing potential. Same with Oddfeld. The only one which is odd in this uh, graph is Fredolsen. And then, since it's a play on steel value, we do look on the steel values. And on average basis, you're now paying through the equity, give or take $300 million for an ultra deep water rig, modern one in any of these companies. So what does that entail? What does this believe? What, what do you believe in? Well, if you believe in $300 million is a fair value for, for a rig, that means that if you believe, for instance, that there is, the market is going to stay as it is at OPEX day rate levels for three more years, your long-term day rate requirement is $330,000 per day, which is significantly below a new build parity, which is north of 400, i.e., you never believe that the day market is going to recover. That's what share prices currently tells you. However, the industry does see the opportunity in discounted prices. So M&A is, co is coming. Bohr, Northern, Shelf Drilling, Ensco, Transocean, and Rome, to a certain extent, start to buy cheaper assets. The market is fragmented. A lot of other companies needs to do something. Consolidation is good and more is going to come. Some of these guys, the better balanced sheet ones, will use the opportunity to hire their fleet using the distressed market opportunities, and others will just go out of business.
But in summary, rig demand measured on market utilization from floaters has troughed. Day rates are at trough and starting to move upwards again, starting in the niche markets. Share prices, however, have not seen the benefit of this. I believe this represents significant opportunities for investors. Thank you.